is apologetics all about just defending the Christian faith and arguing with people and just winning arguments? I don't think it is, and that's going to be the topic of our discussion today. My name is Ryan Paul. You're listening to Coffeehouse Questions. Today joining me is the author of Relational Apologetics, Michael Sherrard, and I had the privilege of, of meeting Mike out here in California as he was uh, leading one of the Ratio Christi College Prep training sessions. Uh, he's also the lead pastor at Crosspoint Community Church, works with the Life Training Institute, and is a part of the pro-life movement. And so he's uh, agreed to join me today to discuss his book, uh, Relational Apologetics. Mike, thank you for coming on and talking with me today. Ryan, man, I'm glad to be here in the midst of the busy summer for for yourself and mine. It's nice to find this little slice of time to chat. Appreciate it, brother. Absolutely. And you're also a faculty member at Summit Ministries. Have you been uh, at Summit Tennessee, Colorado? Which locations have you been at this summer? Yeah, the last two years I've been in both Colorado and Tennessee and absolutely love what those guys do. Glad to be a part of that. Yeah, and you haven't been able to make it out to California where, where I've been staffing at the last two no. years. It's that spot for the uh, upper echelon guys that get to enjoy the beach. <laughs> SoCal weather, so maybe one day. That that is the advantage we have in California is the beach. So you're also the lead uh, pastor at Crosspoint Community Church. How long have you been pastoring as well? Well, I've been a pastor here for a while, and I've said this here recently, that I've had the title pastor longer than I've had the burden of pastor. It's only been about six months now that I've been the lead pastor at Crosspoint. I was brought in years ago to be a part of a transition where the founding pastor at Crosspoint had eyes on uh, retiring and, and Greg Plotz, a great man. I've learned tons from him. He'll never retire from ministry, but he certainly pulled back. And uh, about three weeks on the job of lead pastoring, of course, I'd been here for many years, I realized there's a big difference between just having the title of pastor versus having the burden and the calling of the pastor. It's kind of, there's just something different about it. But anyhow, it's great. It's a fantastic church. Uh, they're a blessing to me and a joy to my family, and they um, very outreach-focused church. So, anyhow, thanks for asking. Good, it's, yeah. I love being here. Awesome. Well, and, and a lot of uh, also kind of my work that I try to do is I try to write for students and, and for youth pastors and how they can teach and work with students. And, and a lot of what you've done is with students, especially with Ratio Christi College Prep and Ratio Christi being a huge college uh, you know, apologetics ministry. Can you maybe talk about a little bit of what you've done with them and just kind of maybe a picture of what is Ratio Christi for, for the pastors who are listening that have college students who, or high school students that are getting ready to go- graduate? Um, kind of what are some options and opportunities for them as they go off into college with Ratio Christi? Yeah, Ratio Christi is a uh, phenomenal ministry. It's a growing ministry. It it started as a a campus-based ministry at the college level, and they would, uh, if you're familiar with campus ministries like crew or InterVarsity, you you get the idea. Ratio Christi exists in a more of a niche area to train college students in apologetics and worldview so that they know how to have effective conversations, um, conversational evangelism, but also know what to do when they enter into that militant atheist classroom and they have a professor whose job it is to convince them that Christianity is irrelevant, irrational, uh, and immoral. So Rasha Chris about four years ago had the vision to, well, rather than just work with students once they get to college, why not prepare them for that? environment and they reached out to me to do so and it just was a great intersection of a passion of mine i like yourself ryan i taught high school for seven years and so i got to see very close up and personal uh even how in in high school the faith of uh christian teenagers is under attack they have questions and by and large they have grown up in an environment that said don't ask questions if you're a real christian you don't ask questions you just 
you know, cliche, have faith. If we had answers, we wouldn't have faith. And the previous generation, by and large, just did not do a very good job of passing on to the next generation the things of God in a reasonable and understandable manner. Not just this is what is true, but how do we even know the truth exists? How do we know that the Bible's reliable? Yeah. These are questions that teenagers have. And um, there's been a, a push in the apologetic world anyhow. So I'm really grateful for the work that Rasher Christie has done, has allowed me to do. Um, to train the church in how to disciple the next generation, helping them to understand both that Christianity is true, that it is good for this world, and how to be effective talking about it to your friends, your classmates, your coworkers. Yeah. And, you know, those are questions I think students do have, and if they don't, they're going to have them soon. Um, I was just at UC Berkeley last week with a, with a group of students, and I think every college student we talked at UC Berkeley believed in some sort of relative truth. And that became the topic of almost every discussion because, you know, how can we even discuss Christianity is true if they don't believe in truth in the first place? And yeah. so these are things that almost every student on campus was thinking and then presented to our students. And so they had to be able to work through this. And so, you know, if that's not something that the students are thinking at this moment, which I think a lot are, uh, it's something they're going to be presented with very shortly. And we have to prepare them and get them ready for that. Absolutely. Um, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit as we get a little bit more into the content. And so uh, as we kind of jump in and get started, I just want to mention, uh, if you have any comments or questions about this show, uh, you can do so as always. You can email those in to contact at coffeehousequestions.com. You can find us uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Snapchat at RyanPauly3 is the ad there. And then as well as text in your comments and questions at 714-989-6927. So, Mike, I just, uh, man, it's awesome being able to talk with you. And I think that this book that you've written kind of helps a lot in just the relational side of apologetics. You know, we discussed right at the beginning of, you know, is apologetics just about answering questions? Is it just about winning arguments? Um, how would you kind of say what what is relational apologetics and why it's not that? Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, answers are only meaningful when they are given to real questions. You know, as apologetics is growing as a, as a discipline, uh, we live in an unprecedented time in terms of resource. There doesn't exist, I don't think, a question for which there is not a really good answer. There's so many great apologetic books, uh, speakers, conferences, uh, like Rethink, you know, done by one of your friends, Brett, out there in yep. Standard Reason, is just growing and thriving. But defending your faith is, is not just about having an answer, because again, Answers are only meaningful when they're given to real questions, and you only know the real question somebody has in their life is through a relationship. For example, not too long ago, I had a, a young man that I knew for many years come to me, grew up in the church, a prominent youth leader. Just in your mind, the, the, the listener's mind and your audience, just picture that stereotypical youth leader. Okay, that's who this guy was. He comes back to me after being gone at college for six to eight months and he comes back and he says, Mike, I need to talk to you. I don't, I don't think that God exists anymore. And I said, okay. So he comes into my office and uh, I said, well, what's going on? And he starts with a classic kind of objection to God and classic and apologetic kind of issue, right? The problem of evil. He says, well, if God exists, how can there be so much evil in the world? I mean, if God is good and he's all powerful, why does he let bad things happen? Well, now, Ryan, both you and I, that's an issue that we have studied for a long time. Yeah. And we both have a really good answer, a satisfying answer to that question. But the question is, is that really his question right now? Mm. And the only way to know that is through conversation. So rather than actually giving him an answer, I go, yeah, no, I get that. That's a, that's a tough one. And 
Um, but I don't give him an answer. I just keep talking with him, building the relationship and asking him some more questions. And Tom comes to find out, well, he doesn't feel like God is there. He says, when I pray, um, it just doesn't seem like God is there. So really quickly, it moved from an intellectual objection, right? Something very much more personal. Yep. Why don't I feel God? And then we keep talking and we go on and I don't even address that. Well, come to find out there's a girl. They've been sleeping around for six months. And so now I just ask a very pointed question. So if let's just for the sake of the argument, assume God exists, you are living in rebellion to him. If this is true, would you feel like he's there? Should you just feel close to him if you're living in rebellion to him? And he goes, well, I guess not. And my whole point in sharing this story is simply that in defending the Christian faith, helping people move past the stumbling blocks that exist in their life that are keeping them away from Jesus, you actually have to know what that stumbling block is. Mm -hmm. And that comes through relationships, ongoing conversations where you're able to listen and ask questions. And then when you find that area, that source of stumbling in their life, that issue that they cannot get past in following Jesus Christ, that's when you give a really good answer. And answers are incredibly important, but knowing when to give them to the real question, that's the key. And I guess that's what the goal of my book, Relational Apologetics, is, is about. Well, and it's amazing just how much more people listen to you when you do have a relationship with them. Um, and, and are we a person that can speak into their lives in that way? You know, I just uh, was at Hume Lake yesterday or on Wednesday and had a question asked to me about, you know, how do we respond to a person who uh, is a friend and who identifies as, as a different gender, uh, as transgender, and wants to now start uh, having us refer to them using different pronouns and a different name. And, you know, a lot comes down to, you know, I think, and I, and I talked with some other people about this to kind of get opinions afterwards, but do we have, are we in a position with that person, in that relationship position to have an influence on their lives to speak into their life? Um, or are we just going to stand there and try to make a point and, you know, and offend someone or, or, you know, however that is, do we have that position to really speak into their life? If so, let's, let's bring truth. Let's really come alongside them and help them understand rather than just, you know, kind of building up our defenses, building up our walls just to make a point and just turning a bunch of people away if we don't really have that position. Um, yeah. You know, kind of an example that was given to me is this, you know, someone is in the church, maybe they're living in sin. Are you the person to present that to them or do you kind of get their friends or the people around them to really come to them and come alongside them? If you don't know them, maybe you're not the person to bring that up. Yeah. Christians have it, this is a both and kind of situation. We have both the obligation to know what is true, mm -hmm. be able to articulate what is true in a clear and persuasive way. And we have the obligation to build relationships with people so that we have uh, an environment of trust where our words will be more uh, – well, respected words come from respected people. I guess yeah. that's the idea. It's the example Jesus set before us. He was a man that spoke in grace and truth. And you even read uh, – our, our church is going through the book of Acts right now. Well, I take the back our sermon this Sunday is from the book of Acts. and. Early on, it says it's talking about what's happening in the early church, and it says they found favor with all the people. There's this idea that encountering God, encountering Jesus Christ, having his Holy Spirit live within you, it transforms you into a different kind of person. You're a generous person. You're a kind person. You're a loving person. This is going to extend into your relationships, yeah. and then in that environment, give them the powerful truth that we've come to know and understand. And that's completely reflected in your kind of your first section of this call to holiness and how your life must reflect your message. You know, and I think that us as, as apologists and Christians and people wanting to go out there and defend the truth, we want to be someone that someone wants to sit down with us. 
you know, kind of like this this ministry I have with coffee house questions. You mentioned in your book that communicate we want communication that's suitable for the sidewalk and the coffee shop, not just the debate stage. You know, are you someone that someone actually wants to sit down with you over a cup of coffee and have a conversation? And not everyone is going to sit down with someone. No no one wants to sit down with someone that's hostile, that's just combative, that just wants to argue and wants to debate. We want to be people that actually want to just sit down, have a cup of coffee, and have this conversation with people. Absolutely. Uh, The platform ministry is great. You know, it's fantastic that there are books that we learn from. Um, There are people that give lectures and have debates. But not every believer is going to go off and do that. That's not our calling. That won't be our vocation. But we all will be in the coffee house yeah. with our brother or sister who doesn't believe in Jesus, a relative, a friend, a coworker. And we just need to know how to be good people, non-hypocrites, right, Yeah. that understand what we believe, know how to have a good conversation, to listen to people, ask the right questions, and have very relevant answers to the most pressing questions that people have. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of one question I get from students is they say, you know, where do I even get started? You know, let's let's say I have an unbelieving friend. Um, how do I even get started in that process of having these type of conversations? What would you say kind of that to that question? Uh, I love it. Just to have people tell you their stories. Hmm. Uh, I ask people this, you know, question all the time. So why don't you believe in God? I mean, just that, you know, and if you don't know where someone stands, you can just invite them to church and then that goes a long way. Oh, no, no, I would never go to church. I would never step foot in that. Well, why not? What's your experience been? You know, so often Christians just want to go on the offensive right away. And I don't mean aggressive anger. I just mean so quickly we want to jump to what we know and give our presentations and things like that without understanding where a person comes from. Well, we spent so, so long, simply, stu- we've spent so long studying those things. We just want to get the information out of us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's that great, uh, I don't know if you remember, direct TV commercial about the power of fists that when you learn Kung Fu, you want to use Kung Fu. Well, it's like that with apologists. You read one book, and by reading one book, I mean you read the table of contents in a couple of chapters, and now you think you're an expert apologist, and you want to go out and use that information. I mean, I get it, because Christians, we live in a, in a cultural context, a cultural moment, where everyone's telling us we're stupid. So when you feel that pressure, you read a book and you go, oh, wait a minute. OK, we're not stupid. Maybe I'm not all there, but other people, Christian, Christian, Christianity is not stupid. Yeah. Well, that you want to go out and use that. So you're, you're right about that. But so a good starting place with especially people that you already have a relationship with is just asking them to share their story. Uh, what's the bit? Some of the questions that I always ask, you know, what's the biggest reason you don't uh, believe in God? Hmm. What's the biggest thing? How have, how have Christians treated you in the past? Have you been to church? What was your experience like there? What do you think Christians should do differently so that their message would be more well-received? Just trying to understand where someone's at. You're building a bridge of trust and respect um, from which your words that you then will speak, you know, speaking truth, you know, uh, boldly and um and strength. But you've already built the trust and you've shown that you're not out just to win the argument. But uh, the goal is truth. Yeah. And I think also kind of along with that is asking genuine questions. Right. I think sometimes we can want to ask people questions, but it's only to trap them. It's only to, you know, get them to the certain point where then we hit them with the evidence. You know, why don't you believe in God? And they say one thing and then we just jump down their throat. Right. Whereas, again, a relational aspect of what we we don't do that. all Well, we shouldn't do that with our friends. Um, But, you know, we ask genuine questions, really wanting to get to know why the person thinks the way that they do. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, examples of this was there was this back when I was teaching, there was this class atheist and 
Of course, at any school, there's more than one person that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, but there's usually one or two that that's their identity. They want everybody to know I'm the atheist. And I remember just asking him one day, you know, so why don't, what's your biggest reason you don't believe in God? And his answer was one I'm sure you've heard. Well, I know a bunch of Christians and they're all jerks. Uh, they don't live good lives. So it was kind of the classic hip- hypocrisy objection. You know? yeah. So that's fair enough. And then I just asked another question. Uh, is it good reasoning, though, to say because God's, fu- you know, Christians are jerks, therefore God doesn't exist? And he goes, well, no, that's fair enough. That's not a good enough reason. So then I asked this question. This was so interesting to me. I said, well, is there one thing that makes you think that God might exist? And his answer just was so fascinating to me because on one hand he said, I don't believe in God because there's so many Christians and they're all jerks. Mm -hmm. His answer to the question that what makes me think Christianity might be real, he goes, it's the fact that there are so many Christians. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) So your biggest objection is there's so many bad Christians, but God might exist because there are so many Christians? And, and to your point, this was I wasn't trying to trap. I'm just asking an honest question. But it was such a breakthrough moment for both he and I because it was this powerful thing, you know, that for the rest of us that are listening that can hear this, well, good grief. It just goes to this relational, um, you know, topic that we're talking about. What if it was like, – so he's considering God might exist because there's so many of us. What if it wasn't just because there were so many of us but there was a quality of our life that was different? Not It wasn't just quantity. It was a quality factor. And um, again, so using questions, showing people that you actually respect them, you're out for their good, is such an easy thing to do and it has such powerful implications for the gospel being received well. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing that questions help so much with is that you don't have to have all the answers. Yeah, you know, right. there is a there is a point where knowledge is helpful and we should have some responses and we should know things about Christianity and we should take the time and to read good books and to study those the answers to those difficult questions, but you don't always have to have those answers immediately. Uh, you can say, I don't know. I, this just happened to me. I was up at Hume Lake two days ago, and I'm the speaker, and I'm doing the Ask Me Anything Q&A, and there were some questions that came up. I said, you know, I don't know, but I know who does. Go look at this website, find this person, and they will give you that answer. You know, yeah. we don't have to know all that. But I think you, you made it kind of a good point in your book, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but, you know, kind of what is keeping people from getting out there and asking their friends questions about why they don't believe in God. And and part of it is maybe that they just don't feel like they have the answers and they kind of have this fear that then causes them. I don't, I, I, I can't get into these conversations because what if they ask something I don't know? Yeah. How does get, having some answers and just being able to a- ask good questions, how does that give people confidence to then go out there and start these conversations? Yeah. Well, and you know it and your, your, your listeners know it, that, that knowledge is just powerful. And so for those that are on the sidelines right now because of fear of I just I'm not qualified to be in this game, so to speak, reading one or two books actually goes a long way. Starting out with something that is simple, a little more beginner, it really gives you confidence to go. But once you do go. So and I remember I remember the, it was funny. It was a book by James Kennedy. And I don't know that it was. I don't really remember much of this book, but it was called When Skeptics Ask. It was one of those kind of first apologetic books that by I – By Norm I, Geisler? No, it was um, – maybe it wasn't. That's not even the title. But it was oh, okay. this red book. It had question marks on it. Again, I don't really even remember the book. <laughs> I just remember the experience of what happened. When I found that there were answers to questions, the confidence that it gave me, yeah. how that helped me now to start conversations. In these conversations, I wasn't so anxious 
because I knew more answers than I had before. But at the very least, I also knew that there were other answers that existed, even if I didn't have a question. So a practical starting point is to go find a book um, to start reading, something like Frank Turk's I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, which yep. is a big book, but it, it, it's comprehensive. You can go through it slowly and you begin learning some uh, answers to questions. But then once you – this will give you the, the confidence you need to start the conversation. But then your point is well taken. Practice saying I don't know. Yeah. Don't fear the I don't know. It's a way that you can respect people. Um, it's very belittling of someone else to try to stretch what you know and just bully them into believing something when you're just pulling out random half-truths or you're not even questions. Just say you don't know. And so that's one way to even also continue to grow in learning. I mean what, what should you be studying is a question you could ask. Well, what's the issue your friend's dealing with? Yeah. Why don't you go study that? Yeah. That's a good starting place too. Yeah. Talk to your friend. Find out they have the problem of evil. I don't have an answer to that. Do you mind if we study this together or can I go study this? And then that's what you go study to start. It's a very real-time application of what you're learning too. That'll drive you forward. Yeah. Well, I think almost probably almost everyone has been in a conversation with someone where the person starts making up information to try and show that they know what they're talking about and you know that they're making it up and it just makes it's so frustrating. Like, yeah. you know, the person doesn't know what they're talking about. They just are trying to sound smart. And it's like, you know, I think if it frustrates us, then we should think about that and go, wait, no, now I shouldn't do it because I, you know, I understand that there's a problem with doing this. Yeah. One of the greatest things that I learned was just this principle. Just stick with what you know. Yeah. You don't have to be the expert. Just say, I don't know. And it's hard to do it the first time. But once you say, I don't know, the first time it becomes easier in subsequent conversations. I even was listening to a lecture by Alvin Plantinga, you know, who just won the million dollar Templeton Award for being basically the best philosopher there is. Yeah. Brilliant man. I was listening to a lecture with him recently in a Q&A and he said, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that question. So, yeah. I mean, that's at the yeah. highest of yeah. heights, philosophical reasoning in his field. He's a man that says, I don't know. We certainly should be saying, I don't know on a regular basis. Absolutely. Yeah. And in, in your book, Relational Apologetics, you have the chapter called Stick With Your What You Know. And I like what you said. Where you said people are led to Christ every day by those without advanced degrees. You yeah. don't have to be a PhD in order to lead someone to Christ. Uh, in fact, most people are led to Christ by people who don't have PhDs. Right, so don't right. feel like you have to know all things in order to get into these conversations. But at the same time, I think you, you also kind of make the point in the book that you talk about how knowledge helps us stay calm. Right. The goal of a relational apologetic thing is not to just get into this heated argument, this heated debate. Um, but there's sometimes there's reasons why people get so upset and angry when we get into these conversations and how knowledge actually helps people stay calm. How is how does that work? Yeah. What, you know, kind of a driving principle in sharing your faith is if you get angry, you lose. If they get angry, you lose. If anybody gets angry, you lose. So yep. the goal in these conversations is not to get angry. And you're right. I've just found that knowledge allows me to remain calm. And there's several reasons. And by knowledge, what are the t types of knowledge or things that we know? One, just when you understand your position better, you don't get frustrated as much. Yep. So often what happens in conversations is you have a firm belief that God exists. And going back to someone like Plantiga, you're justified in having that belief because of the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit in your life. You've experienced God. You've seen him worked. You're firmly convinced in God's existence and his benevolence towards us and that through having faith in his son, Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And you're confident in that. But you don't know how to explain this to someone else. And that becomes a very frustrating thing that turns into anger. 
So once you now know how to articulate your beliefs, to explain the reason for your hope to a non-believer, that frustration level goes way down. You don't feel as threatened by questions. You welcome the questions because you have answers, and it just allows you to be uh, more calm. The other thing, though, that when we talk about growing in knowledge is you shouldn't just know what you believe. A good apologist studies what other people believe. Mm -hmm. Why do they hold these beliefs? And you don't have to just do this from a book. Again, I said you can ask somebody a question to explain their their story. Why do you believe like what you believe? And when you get when you start to become familiar with why other people believe like they do, they become a person and not an opposing position. That's a good and point. most people. Are, are people that you can be friends with. I mean, yeah. you know, I can hear the screams of preachers saying there's no one good, not one of us. And so you know what I mean when I say that, right? But um, just when you grow in knowledge, both of your position and their position, the frustration level goes way down and you begin to develop compassion for other people that don't think like you because you understand how they got where they got yeah. and you know how to help lead them to what is true. Well, yeah, and I, I saw a very real example of this. Uh, I was doing an atheist role play at a youth group and I brought up an objection on why Christianity was ridiculous, and then there's these contradictions in the Bible. And this, I think it was like eighth grade girl raises her hand and just says, you know, here's why the numbers are like that in the Old Testament, and perfectly just calmly explained my objection. And I went, oh, but here's another thing, and I completely switched <laughs> topics. I jumped to something else, and I went to something they hadn't studied yet, and then they started to get upset, they started to get riled up because they didn't have those answers. And I yeah. always think back to that as like, there's an example of here I am, you know, this. they thought I was an atheist, uh, coming into their youth group, and then this eighth grade girl, I believe she was, raised her hand and just calmly responds because it was a topic they had studied, she knew the answer, she had that knowledge, and there's no reason to get upset about what I was saying. And yeah. I think that's a huge point in that. Now, we only have about uh, three minutes left, um, and so I kind of wanted to kind of combine a couple concepts in, in your book. And again, just for all of you listening, you need to go out and uh, get The Relational Apologetics by Michael Sherrard. It's a great book, just teaching how to really have these conversations and be relational in what we do. Uh, but you talk about listening and asking questions. Um, you know, and I think it's difficult to ask good questions because questions make people think. You know, I, I just did this at UC Berkeley where I was asking some students questions, and they just, wow, I've never thought about that before. Well, I've never thought about that before, you know, and just trying to get them to think. But it's, you can't ask good questions unless you actually listen to people. You know, so how can we better focus on what the words that people are saying rather than just thinking about their responses? Yeah, well, no, that what you just pointed out is the key. Uh, nobody listens anymore. Um, in conversation, everybody does the same thing. They are thinking about what to say next rather than listening to the person. That's actually not a conversation. That's two people lecturing to an audience that isn't paying attention. It's an awful way to go about persuading somebody of what is true. So what you just need to do is you need to fight. This is it's just the discipline. When you start forming your response to something someone's saying, you just got to stop. You just focus back in. And so one of the things that I do, one of the tactics that I employ is routinely, this helps me both to stay on topic and it gives me a, an actual space to think about what to say next and it allows me to listen. At some point in the conversation, I'll go, okay, now let me make sure I understand what you're saying. And I'll restate what I think their position is. So I'll say, so let me make sure I understand you. You don't believe in God because you, of so much evil. Is that right? Yeah. Now, doing something like that ensures that I have heard what their actual position is. Yeah. It gives both people a time to 
take a breath. And in that moment, that is now when you can start to think. It's amazing how fast your mind can process information. And when you're restating back to somebody, not in a disingenuous way to ensure that you actually heard them and know what their question is, your brain gets a chance to then think about that. And that's when you can respond. So that's one of the tactics that I use that allows me to listen is I just know at some point I'm going to restate what I think we're talking about. It gives a break in the conversation. Then it allows me to think and I'll either give an answer or ask a follow up question. You're so right. Questions are so powerful. If you read through the New Testament, you'll see Jesus asking over 130 questions because they do exactly what you said they do. They make somebody think when you give somebody a statement it causes them to defend and respond when you ask a question it causes them to think and engage you and a good apologist is one that really to me there's kind of four things of a good apologist they have a really good life they know how to have good conversations and good conversations are ones where you listen and you ask questions causing people to engage you in a thoughtful way and then you have your good answers that you can now give to them in a very relevant and meaningful way. And when you follow that, when you practice a holy lifestyle, the absence of sin and the presence of good works, when you focus on having good conversations by giving people respect because you listen to them and you ask questions, and then you can continue to pursue growing in knowledge and you now have meaningful answers to their real questions – you are a good apologist. You are a faithful ambassador of Jesus Christ. And I hope all of your listeners can hear that this is done because we love people. This isn't we don't grow in knowledge and become apologists because we're puffed up. You and I have met them, the, the best apologists today. These guys that we read their books, we've met them, Ryan, and we, we've learned from their example. They are yeah. loving, compassionate men and women. And I think that's what you and I have both found is that growing in one's ability to defend the Christian faith. Um, is an act of love towards other people and is an act of worshiping God. Absolutely. I wish we could continue talking on this, but we're out of time. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I want to tell everybody uh, to go out, pick up a copy of Relational Apologetics by Michael Sherrard and continue to learn how you can better defend and the faith as well as doing it in a relational, loving, uh, compassionate, respectful way. Uh, Mike, where else could they find the, your information, your blogs and that kind of stuff that you're doing? Yeah, michaelcsherrard.com. Go there and you can get uh, the things that I write, find ways to connect with me, bring me out and do training for your group, speak on a, a, a couple of topics, relational apologetics, pro-life apologetics, whatnot. Um, yeah, I'm glad to serve you guys in any way that I can, michaelcsherrard.com. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with me this morning, Mike. Hey, appreciate it, brother. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to continue to check out that website, check out the book, and, and look for all the future updates and videos that are going to be coming out with Coffeehouse Questions here in the next few weeks. So thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Paulus.